Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily, presented by Surly Brewing Company. Xavier Woods said every game from here on out is a must win. Would you concur with that? I was going to ask you, what do you think? I haven't done the math. I think it's a must win. Okay, so we need, we need 10 to get in? Is what uh, you're saying? The way the NFC's going, 8 might do it. Okay. Eight might do it. So I mean, then, if it's if it's eight, maybe not. If it's ten, for sure. I don't know. I think my point would be that uh, we take it one game at a time. And and I've never put my hands under center and not felt like it was a must-win ever. Whether you're zero and zero to start the year or in the position we're in or whatever. So uh, when I go up there and step between the white lines, it feels like a must-win to me. Hmm. Getting a little little testy. Little testy out there at Twin Cities Orthopedic oh, Performance Center. That's about as snarky as I think I've heard Kirk Cousins. Like he's usually very just sort of vanilla. Like he's you know got to look at the film. I don't know. Purple Daily, Daily Vikings Entertainment, Therapy, Mackie, Judd, Declan, and our football loving friend. Ten years in the NFL, he played in the Super Bowl. He played for the Vikings. He's never lost to the Lions. Have you have you lost to the Lions? No, they. Didn't I don't know if I want you telling people I played for the Vikings right yeah. now. I'm just not really proud of that. No, I've never lost to the Vikings. As a matter of fact, no, to the Lions. Beat, oh, he, you lost. You dude, lost we to the beat Lions. the Lions ass one time so bad. Remember the Harbaugh uh, Schwartz fight? I started that fight. What? And I was proud to start. Oh, dude. Remember when Harbaugh and Schwartz got into it? Jim yeah. Schwartz after the game. So and Harbaugh, Harbaugh gave like the I mean I think I uh, think I uh, maybe yeah, we'll uh, uh, went a little hard there on yeah. the handshake. We beat them. He's going nuts, right? And we chest bump on the middle of the field. He's like pulling his shirt off, and like, because at the time, and nobody understood this was like, he used to be like, he was great because he'd always try and like bring in the blue collar in us, and you'd be like, yeah, we're blue collar until you look at our paychecks. Like nothing about that is blue collar. That's white collar. <laughs> so it's like it's hard to be like, yeah, we're blue collar tough. But he'd always try and like instill that in us, and so he'd be like, when you're done at work, you just throw your shirt out, and you're so proud. And so like that's why at the end of games, he'd always do it real big because he'd wanted people to know he's like blue collar and the work is done. So he chest bumps me, and then he goes right over to Schwartz, and he kind of it wasn't that he shook his hand; it was kind of he pushed him at the end. And, kinda, and Schwartz wanted to say something, he said, and like Jim dismissed it, and Schwartz follows him down the sides, and all of a sudden a huge melee ensues, and it was <laughs> us versus the Lions, dude. It was amazing; it was so much fun. It was, but you talk about what just happened this last game. That was not fun. That nothing about that was fun. And I have to ask Kirk if he's ever put his hands under a guard 
and not felt the wow. need to win. Wow. Because, oh, oh, yeah. Wow, yes. Right in, dude. Oh, see, this is why no I don't go blow. to pressers because I'd be like, question, question blow. in the back. <laughs> Oh God! You should show up at press. Have you ever have you ever uh, stuck your hands under the right guard and felt like it wasn't oh. a must-win game? I'm asking Dude, for a why friend, did no one follow up with that? Why did no one follow up with that? Because nobody's got nobody's fun anymore. Everyone's all like, I don't want to get in trouble. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But we need to go to a presser. You and me, Mackie, together. Let's light it all. Burn it all down. Let's burn it you all think down. They'd let me in there. They would not let me in there. They'd be like, "Dude, no." <laughs> Mike in the back. In. Quick question: Who's going to stop you? Who's going to stop you? you in. Yeah, security. So, the police. so what is oh. like? I mean, this is so Kirk's getting defensive. You know, it's uh, what, what do you think? What do you think? You after that game? No, I would Are own it. Own it, oh, dude. No. But here's the thing: oh. Hey, I threw for three forty, two touchdowns, and uh, had a one seventeen pass rating. What do you want me to do? I, that's kind of the kind of the vibe I get. But what what would that locker room be like? You just lost to a winless Lions team. You're now, you know, two games under 500. You know, I mean, what's what's it like in there? You're the laughing meme for everybody right now. I mean, you're the team that, remember how, and this is so funny, because remember like it was two weeks ago, we were talking about the Big Ten when you lose to the Mac, it's going to happen, but you don't want it to be you. This is that exact situation. Like, that's the game. That's not the game you circle and highlight because it's going to be fun and crazy and wild. That's the game you circle and highlight and like, we cannot make errors in this game. We cannot let them back into this game for any reason than the fact that their coach is crazy, right? And their team starts to believe that maybe they're a little crazy when they're not, by the way, they, I mean, they're just average around, but they come out and they fly around and they don't believe what they hear. And it's like, those teams are the most dangerous. And when you walk into that game, if you're not willing to knock them out with the first punch, I mean, you got to just come in and just swing really hard. If you're not willing to do that, then you're going to lose a game like that. There's so much here to unpack because this is so bad. Like the team's not... Record-wise, in terrible shape yet, but like you just lost to a team that is a, a national embarrassment. What was your first thought, like as that touchdown was scored, as, as Jared Goff threw a touchdown and the clock hit zero zero zero? As a fan now, but probably more importantly, Booney, as a former player, what's going through your head about the complete and utter embarrassment and meltdown the Vikings suffered? I mean, the, there's been times in my career where I've been a part of something like that, where you're just a part of, like, everybody laughing at you. And there are times where you just understand what, like, hey, man, this is just kind of how the season's going. But for this team, I would, be, I would be especially upset because of the talent you have around you and the way that you play. But then to lose the game in the fashion that you did, like, just these little things that crept up and all of a sudden, like, a fumble out of nowhere. And then you, you – you're in the back of the end zone practically in your coverage. Like, even I know you're supposed to have your heels on the goal line. Everybody knows you put your heels on the goal line. Like, as soon as he caught that, I was in the car actually driving to hockey, and I was listening to it, and I heard him hit, like, you know, Goff takes a snap. He gets rid of it, and I'm like, man, he's on the 12. How do you get rid of it so quick? Like, he really must have known where he was going. And then when you see it's like a simple hitch route, and you're like, dude, you lost on a simple hitch. Like, what was a stick? What the hell are you guys doing? You know, like, these are the things that – while some people look at them and they go, oh, it's okay. One play, they were a little too deep. You're like, no, eventually you start doing that, and that becomes the norm, and that becomes complacency kicking in, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't have to have my heels at the goal line. I know not to let anybody in here. Like These things end up rearing their ugly head on teams, and you can't kind of pinpoint out other than the fact that the team's just undisciplined at times. And when you let it creep in for an instant, as humans and as whatever we are, eventually we get tired and we're like, hey, this play, I'll be fine. I'll make up for it. I'll figure it out. I know I'm not supposed to do this. 
but I can make it up. And then all of a sudden, it's touchdown, game over. There's nothing to make up anymore. It, it, it felt like Mike Zimmer was asleep at the wheel on that final drive. So, and again, like yeah. I, this is coming from a guy that quit football in eighth grade because we had to run too much. So, like, just like take take my observations with a grain of salt here. But when former football players, yourself, Mike Golick goes on pro football talk TV this morning or whatever day it was yesterday, and, and he's like, I don't know what they were doing on defense. Like, I've watched football for 30 years. I don't know what they were doing. And, and, and like, looking at the numbers, Jared Goff is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL when pressured. And the eye test would tell you that, too. He gets super flustered all the time when you pressure him. On that last drive, they sat back. Corners were playing right. back eight yards. They were, sent, they were rushing three and four. They were doing nothing to make him uncomfortable. Mike made a point, though, and he was kind of right when he said this. He was saying, like, they were like, you know, with the – rush three what were you thinking and he was like we just weren't covering well so I thought what's the harm in adding an extra body which is great like it makes a great point you're getting close to the goal line as you get down there the windows will naturally shrink and then you add another body well now you're closing them even more but my problem is like you're letting these guys out of bounds consistently on this two-minute drive like all these things that you know not to do like you just got to cover the sideline and the end zone keep them in the middle of the field the entire game and when you let them out and stop the clock and then like I said the last play you're undisciplined enough to not have your heels on the goal line and just wait. Hey, man, they're not really going to have much time. There's only 10 seconds. He's going to – if he feels any pressure, he's going to roll. Something's going to happen. Then we cling on to guys. Like It's just all these things that you talk about making in a pressure moment in a pressure situation, and when you don't have that, you just show me that you're undisciplined. Which gets to this point, and, and I, I know that you played for him and that you two didn't have a great relationship, but Alex – I feel like Mike has lost his fastball. Like like when Mike got here, he got, got here with the express purpose of, I feel, Spielman said, I can't really find a QB, and I'm getting beat up here. So I'm going to hire one of the best defensive minds I can find to try and stop Rodgers, Stafford at the time, Cutler at the time. And Mike right. did a really good job uh, through probably at least 2017, 18 or so. Um but in watching that game, and, and this is not the first time, there's a lot of, of fault to go around for why these games are so close. But I feel one is Mike's defense and the things that he was once known for have either been figured out or they don't work. Um, case in point, Cam Dantzler on the play that you're t- talking about. Cam Dantzler used to be the type of guy that Mike would take and by year two or three was really molding, like was a smart player, was doing things. And and instead in training camp, because I felt what transpired on that last play Sunday goes back to training camp. When Mike sort of like threw up his hands on, on Cam and said, he, he can't play. And I think week one, he just scratched him. Um, And so I feel like he's lost his fastball, not only in game, but also probably just as importantly outside of the games. And and it just seems to be manifesting itself on a week-by-week basis in, in what are probably seem like small things, but were once Mike's strengths. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that, <clears throat> I, you know, 
speaking to like training camp and stuff, I wasn't there. So it's hard to understand what's going on. Like, I get what you're saying. Like normally they would have taken a guy like this by now and made him like an all world player. And I agree. And sometimes that falls on the player too, because, and, and that's where I think like GMs get off a lot, but they should be on the hook more. Like you're looking at a team like this and while, yeah, they're pieces that fall down. There's the GM's responsibility to make sure there's depth on the team too. So it's like, everybody kind of has a hand in this, but yeah, when you talk about like not having the structure of the team anymore and all of a sudden things are just getting so haywire, I think the problem is they're feeling too much of the pressure from the outside. And it's clearly evident in the way that they answer questions. And then it's like, they've been reading the press and they know how to answer it. And they've thought of it. And it's like, listen, you know, when the good teams line up, they don't care what people in the stands think. And they don't care because they know the people in the stands don't know what's going on. They care about what's going on on the field. And that's all they, that's all that matters. And, you know, when you talk about bringing outside influences in, sometimes those outside influences don't know what they're talking about. And these coaches just go rampant on these stories. You're like, dude, calm down. They don't even know what they're talking about right now. Like, we know what's going on, and we know we're okay, or we know we're not okay, but we're trying to figure it out. Like, there's no reason to press panic. And it feels like, especially with their relationship he has with Kirk, like, it feels like in a bad game situation, the, the just the demeanor of everybody's just always so mm-hmm. down. And it's like, dude. This is going to be a hard-fought match. You guys all got to stay in it and stay positive and be because when you go into that slump of like, man, they kind of hit us harder than we thought. You can't recover from that. Like, you can't mentally get ready for the game in the second quarter. Like, that just doesn't happen. Dex, can you play that Kirk clip again? Okay. I want to. I want to. I want to say something off what Boone just said about blocking out noise and like you're talking about leadership is what you're talking about here, right? And and I know people look at well, 340 yards and two touchdowns. He just passed Drew Brees for fifth on the all-time passer rating list. And by the way, nerd stat of the week of the 15 highest passer rating quarterbacks of all time, Kirk Cousins is the only one with a losing record, or I should say, whose teams have a losing record. And so, you know, you can you can interpret that however you want. But let's play this Kurt clip again, then I have a thought for you guys. Sitting at 5-7, and seven, Xavier Wood said every game from here on out is a must-win. Would you concur with that? I was going to ask you, what do you think? I haven't done the math. I think, I think it's a must-win. Okay, so we need, we need 10 to get in, is what uh, you're saying? The way the NFC's going, 8 might do it. 8 might do it. So I mean, then if it's, if it's 8, maybe not. If it's 10, for sure. I don't know. I think my point would be that uh, we take it one game at a time, and, and I've never put my hands under center and not felt like it was a must-win ever, whether you're 0-0 to start the year or in the position we're in or whatever. So uh, when I go up there and step between the white lines, it feels like a must-win to me. Here's, here's what he doesn't understand. This whole thing every week after games, and usually it's a, it's a Wednesday press conference, they, they play on Thursday, and so that's why he's talking right. today. It doesn't matter what's being asked. This is your chance to speak however you want to speak publicly and also publicly to your teammates and to your coaches. And so immediately he gets defensive. It's like it's a it's a beat writer from a local newspaper who's asking a totally fair and innocent question like, hey, you know, are these must win games? It doesn't matter what the question is. This is your chance to control the message to the public and to your teammates. And he immediately gets like swallowed up and defensive about a benign question. And then I'm glad you said that. And then he takes it to I I I. I when I line up under center, I I I I. Dude, stop being insecure about your standing and be a leader. And I know that half the people listening to this who love Kirk, the you know, the Kirk Crusaders are going to say, that's classic Mackey just finding another way to rip on Kirk Cousins. But Alex, like I I look at this dude, he puts up 300 yards on a regular basis and over a hundred, what, 120 career starts, and his teams are below 500. 
And I think there's a leadership chip missing from him. And that exchange was kind of an example to me. But you're, you know more than I, I do. So what do you think? No, I agree with you. And I'm glad you brought that up because, like you said, it's when you look at this, sometimes these guys get so frustrated and you see it in the media. And it's kind of boiling over now, especially with this team. But, like, you're asked a stupid question by a beat writer who's just trying to get a response out of you. And you gave him exactly what he wanted. So that's why, like, when you go into these media things, sometimes you have to be just really calm. And sometimes, like, the media will get mad because they're like, well, he's just being, you know, whatever, bland, or he's being political, and it gives you, you know, sure answers. Yeah, okay, okay. But I think a lot of it is because they don't, guys don't want to fall into this trap of where it's like you get back into banter with the media, and now all of a sudden people look at that and start blowing that up and start looking at that as like, oh, look at this. Now they're really pissed. They're starting to fight with the media as a local beat writer. Like all these things start playing in. And so, you know, when you look at that, like as Kirk, as the leader, and as one of the highest paid guys in the NFL, frankly, like you're res- responsible for being the calmest dude in the calmest situations. Like that's what everyone's looking at you to do. And it's like, at times you're just not there. And I don't know if it's because, you know, you feel the pressure from Zim or the outside world, whatever it is. I mean, there's no excuse for not going into this last game and pulling out a win. And I think that when you look at that, you're saying like the 15 highest rated quarterbacks, he's the only one with the losers. Well, that shows me he's like the only one without the clutch factor. He's the only one that knows how to do it when the time needs to be done. Because you're right. There are like, and the league has kind of changed into the point to where like, from 20 to 20, that inside the middle of the field doesn't matter to anybody. Nobody even cares about it anymore. Like, you see these 20-yard chunk plays, and people are like, oh, my gosh. You're like, what? Oh, they're still on the 40. All right, whatever. Like, when they get into the 20, call me, because that's when you're going to find out what these teams do. And when you go down there and you kick field goals and you don't score touchdowns, these things come back to haunt you. I mean, what do, I mean, that's the only thing I can honestly tell you that is when you go into these meetings, especially after a loss like this, they're going to say exactly that. Had we not kicked these field goals and had we just put it in the end zone, we wouldn't even be in this discussion. And that's the number one culprit. Yeah, why do you have six points at halftime against the Detroit right. Lions? I mean, it should be way different. And a lot of that falls on everybody, right? The coaches, like the coaching and the the play calling was, you know, it is what it is. But then up front with the players, like you guys aren't getting it done enough. You know, you're get, you're letting Kirk get hit and sacked against the Detroit Lions. And you're making some of these guys look really, really good. And that's another thing, like, at times it falls on the players. But then at the same time, it's like the same guy who's getting all these sacks, you let the tight end block them. Now, what kind of stupid sense does that make? Like, this guy's been having a field day on your quarterback all day, and now you're like, hey, we're going to go max protection, but don't worry, the one guy you got the tight end, our third-string tight end will take care of him. That's no big deal. Yeah. You know, like, they had no chance. And that's why I say it falls on every single person to know what the hell is going on on the field, who's having a game, who are we avoiding, who are we trying to attack. Like, there's so much that goes into it, but you should know these things by just watching the game. The flow of the game will tell you everything. So the defense uh, collapse is is rightfully so a big part of the story. But I feel like the one thing that was discussed immediately after a little bit, Booney, but has been buried, and what I really want to talk about is what goes to your former position group. Oh, boy. Um, explain to me, and this is on the head coach because it was allowed. He signs off. Explain to me. Don't do it. Don't do it, Chuck. Explain to me when Christian Derisog go, goes out, and I am not a Rashad Hill stan or fan, okay? Right, But right. he started the first five games, and he is a backup. I mean, I said this in training camp. I don't think he should be starting regularly, but he is there because he is your backup tackle right or left. 
Um, what would be going through your mind? Let's just explore the territory of when instead of putting Rashad Hill in, you say, I'm going to move struggling right guard to left tackle. I'm going to take center who's playing pretty doggone well for us and move him to right guard and take benched guy and Garrett Bradbury and put him at center. And in week 13, this is damn near fireable, I think. In week 13, three-fifths of your offensive line is rejiggered because you don't want to put Rashad Hill in go. Uh, there's so many hands in this cookie jar. Number one, I just talked about it. it, starts with the GM. You don't have an adequate swing tackle. That's like one of the most main positions you need to have. And then, like you said, to, where's Wyatt Davis? Like, where's where are these guys that are supposed to be showing up? Like, hey, man, as the season goes on, these role players, these depth players become huge and super critical because you are going to have guys that leave the game, and you're going to need someone that comes in that can at least do something. Like, dude, at least just stand in front of them. But when you move, you're struggling, and I'm so glad you said it like that. You're struggling right guard to left tackle. Like, that just makes no sense to me. So at first I was like, man, this is going to be a field day. And he didn't start very bad. Like, it didn't look bad until maybe, like, three or four series in, and then all of a sudden the pressure just started becoming, like, insurmountable. And it, and it was a lot of Ezra Cleveland, too, messing around, too. And I can't imagine how hard it would be, though, because I've done that, where you play with a new center and a new tackle, and you're kind of like, nobody knows where we're fitting in on this puzzle, so let's just make it look good. But they're setting too flat at times, and at times they're setting too deep, and you're like, dude, what? And they're getting pushed around at a left tackle position. But if, like, that – I can't really blame Oli. Like, you kind of went into a situation that you didn't really control, yeah. and I, I applaud the fact that you stepped up and did a good job for the day. But it falls on Spielman. Why do we not have guys that we can plug in here that are just naturally tackles? Why are tackles playing guards and guards playing tackle again? And all of a sudden, we're moving everybody around. Like, this is why I say there's so many times the GM goes unchecked because everyone's focused on the coach. And you're like, well, listen, as a coach, I'm kind of like, dude, who we can't even put some of these guys in here. Now we're rearranging our entire offense to to circumvent our offensive line. And at the same time, when we don't win, the coaches get blamed. And it's like, dude, this is just a vicious circle. And this is the circle that continues year in and year out with these crappy teams that get on the carousel of like mediocrity of eight and eight is fine. Or now it'll be nine and seven and seven and nine. It's like, dude, it's just too much at times. And so you're like, when you're looking at this, Spielman's got an ugly hand in it. The coaches have an ugly hand in it, but the players also have a hand because just to go out to lose to the Lions is downright awful. And you that falls on the players. What goes in? Because I, 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 my guess is there's there's discussions behind the scenes the last two or three years about offensive line. And, the, and Brian O'Neill has been developed. And, uh, oh, I think Brian's I, great. Ezra Cleveland, I think, is, is coming along. So it's, it's not like it's a total wash. But in general, right. the last five years or so, they've had a really hard time solidifying the offensive line. They have poured some draft capital in, first, second, third round picks. Uh, Bradbury turned into a, a bust. Wyatt Davis, like you said, is a no-show. And I'm guessing that the the tug of war between Zimmer and Spielman is Spielman saying, listen, I'm getting you good players here. Why is your coaching staff not maximizing these guys? Why are they not developing these? And Zimmer's probably saying, we're, we're doing what we can. You're not, you're, you're whiffing in the draft, right? Like, you've been in these meetings for a decade plus, like, how much is it if an offensive lineman busts like Garrett Bradbury or let, let's say Wyatt Davis for whatever reason just like isn't panning out? It's year one, so it's not fair to say that. But is that a talent scouting issue or is it, hey, these guys are talented, but someone needs to mold them and the coaches are failing. And then there's a player aspect in year two. But how do you see it? 
everybody's an idiot. I mean, everybody from the fans <laughs> on over. Because listen, everyone keeps saying this. Let's draft an alignment. I keep telling you guys, they're not making them like they used to. Stop. You don't want any of these young kids anymore. They don't know what they're doing. They just suck. Why? I don't know. Because their moms babied them their whole life. Like after my generation grew up, everybody else got babied. So now when these kids get yelled at, they cry. They physically cry. And you're like, dude, we're in a game. What are you doing? <laughs> Bro, wake <laughs> up. Like I had Garrett, that Garrett, come on. on. Let's go. Like, you're looking at these guys like, bro, where did they make you? Where? I am not from where you're from. And it's, you look at these O-lines, and the best ones have veterans all over it. Why? Because the veterans understand it. You don't need to tell me how to pass pro on a 358. I'm not an idiot. I've been there against the best guys, and we were like, we took hours and hours and hours to sit there and go, this is what's the best against this guy, and this is how we're going to attack this guy. And this is how we're going to play this guy. You get these young kids in there, they're like, oh, man, I don't know. He likes to spin. Uh quick off the edge dude you better know more than that because he's going to eat you in a minute like these are things that go into looking at it and when you look at this team they're not in a rebuild mode like i get when teams are in rebuild modes they go for young players we want to build these guys up together so that all their chemistry is right you're in a win now mode and you went after young offensive linemen when you should have went out in free agency and been like listen joe thuny what do you want god that's a lot of money dude there is no offensive lineman worth that much. But if you say so, I guess so. Like, these are things you have to do. And you can't just continue to build on a defense because eventually your offense starts to struggle and everyone's looking around like, what's the problem? Because then the defense starts to suffer because you're not converting third downs or you're not converting touchdowns. You're kicking field goals and the defense is feeling the pressure more and more. It's like all these teams that are understanding how to do it. Like, you look at – and I say this again, like, Tampa Bay and New England, those two teams, their whole offensive lines are all veteran dudes. Like, yeah, they went on and forward on Tristan Wilfs, and that kid was incredible year one. Like, he was balling out. Like, he was probably one of the best first-round picks that year. The year that he had, they went to the Super Bowl, that was insane. But everybody else has veterans all over it because they're like, listen, we know what's good. We know what's right. We can get ourselves out of a jam. You get these young kids in there now, and you're just, you just don't know what's going to happen. And they don't understand the mentality of like, hey, man, there's no one to complain to, right? I know you were playing right guard. Now you need to play left tackle. That's just how this is going right now. And if you can't step up, the whole team is going to suffer. Like there's people that understand that. And then there's kids that just don't. So explain to me this though. So, so Spillman gets hired by the Vikings to be basically uh, Childress's caddy in 2006. And this was Booney right after that they had signed Hutch, a hall of fame left guard. I mean, Steve Hutchinson, uh, on Monster. a weekly basis, yeah, he was great. But, I mean, on a weekly basis, he showed Spielman, okay, this is what a guard – because right. at, at that time, guards weren't paid that great. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, week after week and year after year, it was like, oh, my God, this guy uh, molds this line. He gives it personality. He's great. Um, they signed you. And I, I think Dex said on a show that we did yesterday, since you, it's been like, we're just going to find guys. What? I what do off. you? What do you think? Cha- yeah, but I mean, what do you think changed about Rick's mentality, where <sighs> where it went from what you're saying, which is, hey, you know what? Veteran guys are good. They're stabilizers. They bring experience. They don't cry. To we'll just find guys. Where did that shift? Do you think? I think a lot, you know, and I kind of joke about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was they were just kind of like we're just done with the veterans because you know. <laughs> 
you never hear about the veteran offensive lineman mentality of like, we just don't care. Like if it has nothing to do with football relations, we don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like we're just the goofballs. And so I think that kind of pisses a lot of people off, especially the GMs when they look over and see the old lineman playing catch while the defense are practicing. You know what I'm saying? Like we're playing a full on scrimmage with each other and they're like, Someone going to take this serious? Like, no, boss, I'm going to get my face ripped off this week. I'm trying to have a little fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> they just don't understand why we're goofy and ha- like to have a lot of fun, don't care about anything. But, like, you pull me into a meeting and all of a sudden it's like, yo, I got you. I'm a tentative. I'm here. What do you need? I, oh, that now. Don't kill that. That's stupid. But then all of a sudden you turn around and you go, well, they think they can also develop guys. And I don't mean to blow everybody out of the water with this but the coaches are not what they used to be and these guys just don't understand these little intricacies and they don't understand how to coach anymore and I don't know if it's because the players have changed and they're not receptive enough to like true coaching because when you do sometimes you have to like really cut into a guy and you know as as kids are getting older they're starting to realize like oh well I don't have to take this or I don't have to listen like there'd be times when I was older in my career where guys would just get filleted and they'd be like I don't need to listen to this and you'd be like no you do Everybody does. Like, dude, you don't understand it. You are not special. It doesn't matter where you were drafted. When you put in, when you put a tally in the L column, everybody's a victim here. We're all going to get ripped apart. And it's like, you know, there's a these coaches sometimes that fall into this, like, well, I don't want to hurt everybody. I want everyone to be my friend. And you're like, listen, man, coaching sucks. And it sucks because it's a love-hate relationship. And a lot of times I hate you because you're just cutting down, cutting me in. But all of a sudden I start to get mad at you and then I want to play better to prove you wrong. Like this is the whole mentality of how to get people to play better. And these kids now can't take it. And these coaches don't understand what they're coaching because their offenses are up and down every week. And it's like they're not really even doing what they're supposed to be doing. And how can you coach that? There was also a, a, a pretty long period for like 10 plus years, maybe going back into the 90s, where v- the Vikings had a tradition of leadership coming from the offensive linemen, like where offensive linemen would speak on behalf of the team in a big spot on a Wednesday or after a game. You know, John Sullivan, Matt Burke, uh, Burke. I mean, Hutch, Burke. obviously. Hutch would, Hutch wasn't the most like verbose guy, but like Hutch would stand up and like set the tone sometimes. Like who's, you know, it just, it, it seems like they're trying to find it and they're still transitioning here real quick. I know. Oh, go ahead. Yo, booty. Go ahead. I was going to say, I I think they found it with Brian. I really like Brian a lot. I think he's a great player. I think when you talk about toughness, a dude that you want to build your offensive line around, it's definitely a guy like Brian, but it falls back on this thing. Like it can't just be one guy. It has to be at least like three guys on the O-line. You can get away with three tough ass dudes that just go out and kick people in the face and two role players. Like that's how an offensive line is kind of built. Just five shaggy dudes that go out and do their thing thing and they come back and they give you a lot of intel like when you just have one guy that's doing it all eventually he's kind of like well if no one's going to follow me then I guess I'm just going to kind of fall back into the pack you know what I'm saying like he falls back sometimes into that like mediocrity phase where you're like dude break yourself out of that just continue being the one guy in the field that's kicking people around no matter what it looks like even when you're on film because you got to think too when you're watching that film and that offensive line room and you're watching your right tackle just destroy dudes and the other four guys are like getting pushed in the backfield what do you think you'd feel like as an offensive line because we're all watching the same thing we're all thinking the same thing like what the hell is everybody else doing (sighs) purple daily by the way is presented in part by our friends at tcl tcl do not kill the messenger for the tv that you watch that garbage on sunday the picture was amazing but the if you're game broke, was try a new one. Yeah. 
uh, TCL is uh, offering up a new lineup of award-winning TVs delivering the most entertainment with stunning resolution, all at an affordable cost. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Sorry, Jed, go ahead. Uh, so to, to explore yes. uh, or to go down this path here, Boone, mm-hmm. it seems to me in, in the teams that I covered going back to the 2003-4 Packers who, who had a really good, good line. It was Flanagan. It was Wall, Rivera, uh, Tauscher, and, and Clifton. Um, but what I was going to say is, is, and I think where Brian is at a disadvantage is, I have never seen an offensive line be good with one guy who is the guy and then everybody else is sort of meek and doesn't really you, yeah. know, know how to pull. Like, it's always a group. It was Burke and Hutchinson, and it was the whole group, or right. at least three-fifths of that, that group who were really smart and had um, strong personalities that coaches might not have liked, but they just put up with. Right. So I think that's the Vikings problem here. Like you can't just have one guy. Oh man, he's good. And the rest of them aren't really that good. And they sort of know, like, I think the problem on the line too, is if you're not that good, you're not stupid enough to think you're good. <laughs> so like O'Neal knows he he's good, but like, who's he playing by? Who's like, I'm really good too. And really smart. Like to build a good line takes a lot of smarts and work, but by the GM, yeah. And if you and and if you're just like I'm gonna, if you feel that in week thirteen you can take three fifths of a unit that op- operates like a group of cells in a body and just replace them, um, you don't have a line then. You you've right. got five different guys. And the problem too is like we said, you don't have anybody good enough to put in there. Like normally, a normal team would have a swing tackle that they'd be like, this guy fits in. He practices a lot with yeah. the ones. He gets the chemistry. Uh, like I'm not even kidding you. And sometimes it's so hard to relate to people. Like. When I was watching this game, I'm like, man, this is a lot of pressure for a, a Lions game. Like, I'm going back and I'm watching it. And it's because Ezra mm-hmm. Cleveland's put it in a bad situation because he doesn't know how everyone's setting. So he's just setting flat. And then all of a sudden you look at Ole Udo and he's setting like he's a guard at left tackle. So he's setting flat. And it's like, I would be okay with that, but then it's on like a third down where it's a five-on-five five protection. You know they're going to stunt. And they did a simple twist, and Kirk gets like ejected from a – freaking f-16 he gets hit so hard you're like dude but but you see what i'm saying like that's why i say this is so tricky and complicated to explain but it falls on everybody number one it falls on the coaching staff why are we in a 5-0 when we have Oli udo at left tackle like when we went into really bad games and we had to move people into positions that they didn't belong everything went back to super basic because you don't want to put yourself in a position where your quarterback's getting hung out to dry by a defensive end and it's you know it's also falling on like the players like, Hey, listen, we have minimal time to do this. We need to get together. We need to practice this. Like there's so many people. And then not only that, but you're coming into a short week now and it's like, where's everyone going to be playing? And at the same time, you have to get really mad at the GM because this is like the same thing for years and years. And Judd, you said it, you can't just have one ass kicker and four of the guys are like, sure. Okay, cool. Oh, that's, we're, we're trying to do that, but we're, it's, it's coming. Like you got to have three guys out there because it, I'm telling you, as a guy that once had to do it and as a guy that was young that watched other guys do it, if you can find somebody that's just out there kicking people in the face and they turn around and see you there, it builds confidence in each other. It builds momentum. And I remember when I came here, they said that to me, like, we love the fact that you played with Anthony Davis. So you guys tried to literally kill people at times. And it was fun to watch that. And we're really hoping that you can do that with Matt. And I was like, I'm all about it. 
Matt seems like a groovy cat. Let's go have some fun. And he seemed cool at first. And he was like, and he told me, the one thing I need is just a partner in crime. Like, I've never had that. And as a player, you know, you never know what to think. Everybody could say they're tough until they are. But when you talk about these guys, like Brian just doesn't have a partner in crime to go with him to be like, yeah, man, you want to go fight somebody? Uh, let's just go fight somebody for no other reason than it's fun to do. Like you need <laughs> yeah. guys. And that's why yeah. this game is so crazy because you throw emotions into it and you throw technique into it. And then all of a sudden somebody just throws a fist fight for no reason. And it's like all these things start interjecting into your team. And that's what builds this like rally moment and this fun times. And like, yeah, we lost the game, but I'll tell you what, we beat the living hell out of those guys. They'll never forget about us. Like those are the thing instead of being like yeah we lost to the team that hasn't won in 364 days crazy i know right sounds to me like someone's ass needs to be fired and we're going to get there in just a second here but i gotta say we are super proud of judd zolgad we're a little weird so last night we went to uh, a mexican restaurant with our friend patrick royce for a little little gathering in golden valley and we're like what's what's judd gonna do is he gonna fall off the wagon he's like don't sweat it guys i got it down i can go out to a restaurant on olivia and still have a good time not just sit there and eat celery. Booney, all those chips and dips and everything. Uh, um, Moderation, um, cheese, baby. Cheese Moderation. right in front of, of me. But thanks to my friends at Livia Weight Control Whoa. Centers. The temptation, the temptation. I was like a well-honed guard. I kicked temptation's <laughs> ass to the curb. That's right. And you can join me now. In fact, join t- today. Save 50% off the program. Your first Visit is free. I am down 28 pounds and um, am 211 right now. Plan to get down to 200 pounds, and I plan to stay there. 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A-LIVIA.COM. L-I-V-E-A.COM. Here's the best part. My brain rewired. Temptation? No problem. Livia has helped me establish a a zen-like mode where I am a professional athlete, at least when it comes to losing weight. A six-pack machine, Judd Zolgad. Also, if you're a business owner out there, Federated is here to help you just protect and manage your business, your employees. Risk management is the name of the game when it comes to Federated. All kinds of resources and people that can help you. They're one of us based in Owatonna, Minnesota. So check them out online at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. Declan, whose ass? Whose ass? Multiple accomplices have been named in this week's edition of Declan wants someone fired. Someone needs to fan Alex here. Hold on, I'm I'm sitting. I'm sitting. I'm here. Okay. 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 So here's 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 where I'm at. When you lose to a winless team, and and we've kind of talked about it so far in the first 35 minutes or so of this pod, but imagine losing to a team that has not won a game in 364 days and losing to a coach who has never won in the NFL before and one of the worst quarterbacks to waltz all over you with no timeouts and less than two minutes? And what if your left tackle goes out and you completely reshuffle your offensive line for whatever godforsaken reason? So I want the following people, multiple people, to come on down because your asses are fired. Yes, Mike Zimmer, Adam Zimmer, Clint Kubiak, Rick Spielman, Phil Rauscher, Rick Dennison. All of you come on down. All of you come on down. All of you deserve to be fired. They're not going to have a team next week. That's fine. It doesn't matter what they they coach them last week. They play a game in 48 hours. I don't care. 
Boone can do it. I can do it. I'll do it. All these asses are in a stew (laughs) of being fired for right now. They're all at fault in some individual way. Spielman can't draft. Zimmers can't coach. Kubiak doesn't know what he's doing on offense. We're 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 running through this offensive line for whatever for godforsaken reason. All of you, come on down. Six people in one episode have just been fired. Yes, their asses are fired. fire their asses. That's the Can them. Wow. Wow. Got to, man. You got to. Okay, Woo. can I, yeah, can I, can I tell do. you that, you know, before the season, remember, so Mike Zimmer had taken over play-calling duties because initially it wasn't Adam Zimmer calling some defensive plays in one of the preseason games or something. Yeah, they yeah I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Mike was asked about it, and, and Mike said, well, and he was kind of kidding, but not really. He said, well, like, if things aren't going well, I'd rather fire myself from play calling duties than fire my son from play calling duties. Yeah. Are we getting to the point where mm-hmm. maybe both mm-hmm. of, maybe both of them can just uh, maybe just be fired together? Someone made a great point. They were like, "Dude, how could you fire your own son?" I beg it'd be easy. Hey, come here. Listen, you suck. You're pissing me off, and your defense isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. You're out. Okay. Matter of fact, you can't come over for Sunday dinner anymore either. Your mom's pissed too. Like, you know, it'd be la- easy you know, to do. Last night, then- we saw a fatherly son embrace after the after the Patriots beat the Bills. The biggest smile in, on, in, on Bill Belichick's face as he hugs awkward, mulleted Steve Belichick. Yeah, but I'll tell yeah, you, he was. If the Patriots go through a stretch where they give up forty points a game on defense, you don't think Bill Belichick would turn around and fire his ass? He'd, He'd fire on his sideline, and that's why you like. People forget, man, when it comes to this game, it is all business. Like, it has to be all business. And that's why, like, bringing family members into it was always been a bad idea. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just – it would come to this point because you're either looking at him or you're looking at Andre Patton. And I don't see Andre Patton going anywhere. I mean, Andre's one of the best at what he does. I mean, he is one of the best defensive-minded guys, and he knows how to work a D-line. And when you look at this, it's like, man, it's going to get really ugly really fast, especially because if the Steelers come in here on Thursday – and do anything other than lose, it's going to be a really big mess. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just – it could get worse. And you talk about a team – and I, I played in Thursday games, and I played in the biggest ones, and it is – it's hard, man. It's hard to get over a loss that quick because you're so many questions in your mind and you're still beat up. And, you know, when you lose a game, you feel way worse than a win. Like, you could win a game. It could be, like, by one point. You'd wake up the next day like, I'm good. I feel great. We won. You lose a game. You could play the best game, barely get dinged up, wake up, feel terrible. Be like, I just don't I don't feel mentally with it, together. Everything's coming down on us right now. It's like how we pull ourselves out of this because that's another thing you realize in these quick games is like you're the only one that can save yourself. There's nobody else coming on Thursday. The game's going to get played, and someone's going to have to be out on that field. And if you're not the one willing to make the play or show up and play through the pain, it's going to be an ugly day for because the Steelers are in the same position and they're they I feel like the Steelers have more life in their season, which is even crazier to think. Yes. because I think they're like what like eighth right now or ninth in the seating. Like you look at the, and they know where they are and they know that they have to travel on the Thursday game, so they know that they have to bring it even more. And that's to me is like this game coming up will be even more pivotal, pivotal, pivotal there than go. anyone. There it thinks. is, right there. Yeah, well, and Tomlin, like, like as far as the mental gymnastics that go on oh. behind the scenes in preparing for a game with like two days to prepare, uh, I'm going to take Tomlin over Zim every single time. Oh, I don't know, man. There's they, they, their team seems to be in a weird funk too. Like, I know I don't know if anyone paid attention, but like 
a week ago, Ch- Chase Claypool was like, hey, man, we'd like to listen to music and practice, maybe change it up. And what did Tomlin, he was like, hey, why don't you shut the hell up? Yeah. There wasn't <laughs> another like, word about, about it. How about he worries about playing a- wide receiver and I'll put together the yeah. practice plan? <laughs> there was not another word question asked. Like, these are the things, like, even when you look at that team, you still think, like, the respect factor between Ben and obviously Ben's a different cat with Mike Tom because they've been together for years and years and years and they won Super Bowls together. But like the respect that they have, but the respect that everyone has towards like the coach and like everything's just so, but they know they're in that position too. Like the Vikings are like this Thursday game is coming down to be like, if you win this game, you keep yourself alive. If you lose, you really plummet down way down there. What is so, what do, especially like the guys in the trenches, offensive, defensive linemen, I mean, your body probably feels terrible all the time, but like how much all worse does your body specifically feel going into a Thursday game compared to a Sunday game? Oh, it's horrible. Because normally, you know, you don't really feel all the pain until Wednesday, but on a Thursday game, like I remember all the Thursday games I played in, as soon as the game was over, like it was back to the facility to rehab, get in the cold tubs, get in the sauna, you know, the normally like a bunch of the starters would go upstairs, start getting the books open, start reading, looking, watching film, getting things going. I mean, the days are so long. They turn into like 20 hour days because you're cramming so much in because you don't want to make it just a vanilla game. You don't want to be the team that's just like, okay, we're going to go to our basics and we don't really have to worry about much. Like you have to do a lot of scouting now, especially for teams that are in the hunt right now that are going to be bringing everything they have they know they have to dial it up you're not going to win an nfl game being vanilla anymore and especially not on a thursday game like it's the teams that are willing to go out there dice it up dial it up throw the ball not you know they don't come out and say we're going to run it 50 times like the patriots did but they (laughs) said like which was insane (laughs) but like you know when you come out there too you know everybody out here is in the same boat everybody's hurting the same way so if you can be the one that overcomes it you're going to win the game that Pats game. All right. God, 46, I love it. 46 <laughs> runs and Mac Jones, I believe, Good. two of three for 19 yards. Your thoughts on on a game that had a circa 1924 game plan? I called it. On my show on Sunday, I said, I bet you they run the ball 40 times wow. because they have the number one pass defense. You know as well as I know that Bill Belichick went into that team. And you people are like, oh, it was the win. I'm like, dude, it wasn't the win. They were probably planning to throw 10 passes the whole game. I'm not even kidding you. So as soon as they saw 50-mile-an-hour wins, they were like, this is even better. That's why I think that McDaniels was like laughing so hard at the end of the game because he was like, the wind played into our hand so well that we can get away with this stupid game plan. But not only that, it worked. And you're watching the ball, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know a lot of these dudes. Like, I know the Patriots offensive line, obviously. But I know a lot of them aren't considered to be like road grader, road graders. And these dudes were running between the tackles at will. Traps, whams, crunches, counters. I was like, at some point, someone from the Bills is going to step up, right? Yes. You know? And you saw Sean McDermott when he was losing his mind right before the fourth quarter when he was like, He's like calling guys over, and you knew what he said. I swear to God, if I see one more yard made, everybody's getting fired. And all of a sudden, Matt Milano's running downhill. He's like, dude, I got you guys. <laughs> but you like, you look at that, and we all laugh. And I'm sure everybody's laughing today. Like, wow, I can't believe they did that, but why not? Like, that's exactly what a game plan should be. This is the number one pass defense in the NFL. We have a rookie quarterback who we're pretty conservative with anyways. Why are we going to even let him go out here in wins like this 
and even tempt fate with the game. Like there were times where Josh Allen threw the ball and you could see it just zing to the right. You were like, wow, that wind must like, remember that back shoulder that he missed to digs. And then they went back and looked at it and they were like, oh, that wasn't a, that wasn't a back shoulder. That was just how the ball traveled. It just literally surged to the right. It was like, wow, you get into games like that. And it gets really scary when you start throwing the ball because defensive backs can make plays that are just incredible. So I, 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 I applaud the Patriots for what they did. I got to think that's got to be kind of a blast, like for, for a one game game plan. I know like the Vikings are kind of oh. on the other side where they're like, God, let's loosen this thing up and let's throw the ball more. But like, all right, one game, there's going to be wind. They've got an amazing pass defense. Guys, we're going to do something ridiculous. We're going to run the ball on every snap for three hours. And there's got to yeah. be something sort of empowering about that. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure everyone is sort of sitting there like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. And at Are what you point, if you're, if you're Buffalo, at what point do you think to yourself, God, should we, I mean, should we play 10 in the box? Like, like, okay, 12 runs, 15 runs. Like, I guess they're just going to keep running or are, are, are they setting up a play action? Like it's kind of, it's a mind bleep. I'm so glad you brought that up because like from halftime on, I was like, okay, they did start playing 10 man boxes. And I was like, okay, here comes the play action. There was a lot of times where they were in like two by two formation and I'm like, this is it. They're going to, they're going to, and because the linebackers at that point were just running through to stop anything. I'm like, they're perfectly set and they just continued to run it. But I, I promise you, when Josh McDaniels got up there, he wasn't like, we're going to do something silly. He was just like, okay, look, you see those first seven plays? We're going to repeat that like eight times. And that's the game plan. Okay. All right. Get out of here. Go to lunch. <laughs> like, that was it. There, nobody questioned it. I'm sure nobody was like, oh, are we sure? I'm sure they were like, got it. <laughs> That is the Patriot way to me. Like people hmm. never understand what's the Patriot way. It's we're gonna do this sixty-five times. Good, yeah, we're good. Good. Oh yeah, Whatever you and say, uh, and here's the validation. All of these championships over here. So just don't question it. <laughs> Where's our validation? Did, did you just ask me for my credentials? Get the hell out of my building. How about there's my validation, you idiot? You're fired. And then there's like, the, are you kidding me? And then <laughs> the, and there's what the, the poor the poor Buffalo Bills, 20 years just getting oh, bludgeoned yeah. by Brady and Belichick, yeah. and then they get the one year, okay, finally Brady's gone, and, and the division is ours, now we're on the rise, and the Patriots come back after one year and say, no, actually, we'll just take the division back. Don't worry they about it. They got their division. That was such <laughs> a big brother move, wasn't it? It wasn't even like, we're going to do it through the air. That was a big brother move and like pushes you into the wall, and you're like, stop. That was like, no, dude, we're just going to hammer it home. We are the Patriots. And it's like, oh my and on my show on Sunday I was pissed because I was like, dude, Bill duped us again. Like they're back again. And not only that, but they're in first place in the AFC. I'm not even talking about their division. Like, dude, you were two and four at one time. What the hell just happened? And that this is how he works. And this is how like continuity and like eventually staying to your game plan. At first, I think I was even on board, like, man, this is just too conservative. It's never going to win. But what he did was he kept rallying his defense and making them better. And all of a sudden, it was like, we're going to keep pushing the ball slowly. Because I saw, like, statistics that, like, through the months, they've been averaging, like, a yard or two per play every month. So it's like they keep continuing to push this offense open. And defensively, and I say this, and I've said it forever, and I noticed this when we would play them, we would watch them, is he will blitz you and expose his back end knowing that the blitz is going to get home because, A, I have a better player with a one-on-one matchup, or I know I can beat your pass protection. What's playing in a miserable weather December game like? 
so much fun. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you right now, we played in the Packers game, and I think it was the uh, it was the game right before the championship game, the year we went to the Super Bowl, and it was the polar vortex. It was like negative thirty. <laughs> right and everyone's like you know and all the young guys are like oh it's okay i heard that their their field is heated i was like dude i played on this place like six times it's never once been anything but a skating rink they'll get ready for just like the worst day of your life and it was but it was so fun because what happens in a crappy day in december hey guys the ball's not flying like it used to i guess we're gonna have to run the ball oh geez no (laughs) no not run the ball like dude i'm not kidding you you guys are like, what would you guys have done with 45 run plays? If you just give us the first play of the game as a run, your offensive line won't complain the whole day. We just don't want to pass block the first play because you don't know what the dude across from you is bringing. You know what I'm saying? It's like you need that one pop. I just And the best was if you started the game with a naked or a waggle, oh, my God, it was like we, we wouldn't complain about anything the rest of the day. Nothing. Because <laughs> yeah. that's when you tee off on them. Like one guy would hold a guy up, and then your tackle would just come smoke him in the back, and you'd be like, well, sucks for that guy. <laughs> Are you uh, – could you play for Dan Campbell? I feel like you and Dan Campbell would, would enjoy a, a cup of coffee and a football conversation. For sure, Surly. For sure. Oh, look at that. Wow, oh, there we question. go. Right on brand. Oh. Right on brand. It just leads Judd right into it there. Fired. It's great. Sorry, oh, Dex. The best IPA that you could possibly find. Booney said it, and that's exactly right. Surly, furious. It fits. You know what? If you're a Vikings fan right now, what more perfectly uh, named beer is there? You're surly and you're furious, but the ironic thing is to calm you down. You drink one or two of these, and now you take a deep breath, and you're like, I'm feeling pretty good. Surly, furious. Booney is right on point. Outstanding plug. Dude, they gave they gave the game ball in the locker room. I don't know if you guys saw the video clip. To Dan, like Dan Campbell was like oh. tearing up. You know, he's talking about the school shooting and he's like, yeah. it's his first win. And he's, you know, he's, he's showing men that it's okay to show emotion, even if you have barbed wire tattoos. And they give him the game ball. I know he's a punchline, Dan Campbell, but he's got those guys playing their asses off this season. They're just not very talented. So I, don't know, I think he's probably more of like an offensive. Like he's more of like a position coach or something. But oh no, he's a, he's a head coach. You that so? is your head coach. He's right. a motivator, right? Like the one thing I've been saying about Dan all year is I love him because he keeps his team in it. Now there's been a couple of games where they were just not in it. Like I think they played Philly and they got schmoed, and it was like ah, that's bad. But to come out week 13 and continue firing that ball and coming out and playing the way they did. Dude, Dan Campbell might get a lot of flack for being a goofy dude, but as a head coach, I would there was no question. If anybody had something to say, I would fight him for it. Like that's because when you get into moments like this and people are just hammering home for 13 weeks how bad you are, the one guy that's like, "Hey man, we're good." You eventually you're like, "You know what? I got his back." No question. Like he's continuing to ride with us and you see it like it's not like this fake, "Oh, let's go." It's like the dude's crying on TV and you're like, "Man, he's definitely getting killed by some of those players i want to see dan campbell headbutt someone with a helmet which coach did, wasn't there like a college coach that did that one time he like was yeah. he's like headbutting his 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 players with helmets bleeding, on. right yes yeah 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 no you don't want to do that i've done you that, don't want to do that. it's not fun i did it one time to mike body before the dallas game and we thought i knocked him out and it was not <laughs> wait wait i got did, so much trouble did you both have helmets so, on or who did no he did and he didn't know I was going to do it. And I was like, yo, my, and I, cause you know, I like to headbutt people before the games. I would headbutt Joe a lot. Wait, but so you, so you didn't have a helmet. He did. And you almost knocked him out. 
Maybe I did have one on. I can't remember. I just remember I hit him and he dropped to his knees and they looked at me like, dude, what did you just do? And I yeah. was like, the potty was important to you guys. Ball. Oh my God. I was like, I was like right next to him. I was like, Mike, get up. Mike, get up. Don't die. Don't die on me now, man. You know, he goes, standing eight count. I'm so, I go, oh my God, I killed the left guard. I'm in Oh, my oh, my book. I killed the left guard. They still have him. I still get texts about that every now and then. Remember when you almost killed Mike? Yeah, I do. Don't bring it up to Mike. Sorry, Mike. My bad. Uh, oh, Mike's the best. I love him. Well, uh, that's Purple Daily. It's been a therapeutic, I don't know, 72 hours or so here. If you guys miss hey, Vikings listen, Vent Line, check it out on demand, Purple get Daily. Get excited. Get excited for the Thursday game. Thursday games are fun, dude. You can't, you can't tell me that this, uh, this They're gonna is going to be. And I, They're going to win dude, on Thursday. I'm, they always come. They always show a little like like one more shot of pulse, and then they'll hey, then they'll die against the Bears on Monday or something. Or oh, your show tomorrow, if you guys are talking, you should talk. If you just block Cameron Hayward and T.J. Watt, if you just block those two guys, these guys have been burned the last couple. Of, like you can get after these, but do not let Cameron Hayward get going. I'm telling you, Ezra Cleveland has a day on his plate. And you just do whatever you got to do to get right because that dude has been having a year. Like, he he caught an interception two weeks ago. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, shut that dude down. The game is over. I think I think Pittsburgh's feeling themselves a little bit here. You know, Tomlin, yeah, good, Tomlin good got to red-assed. Good luck to, to the Vikings to shut those two down. Yeah. Hey, it's, dude, I'm telling you right now. Look, see, that's why you're, you're overestimating. Just go in there and just keep punching. Don't look up at the score. Don't look at the time. What do you need me to do? You punch him again, I'll do it again. Just don't. Whatever you do, don't get out of the way like a lot of these dudes have been doing. You were talking right about now. mentally strong people, Booney. You, I don't think you, you're dealing with that right no, now. You just you go in. I'm telling you right now, if Ezra Cleveland's listening to this, you just go into this game and you punch that dude as hard as you can. And you do it. Sometimes you got to do it right in the face. Like you got to take 15 for it and just be like, nah, man, I'm not going to let you come in here and bully me. Like people used to get so mad with stupid penalties. You'd be like, listen, I need to do this once in a while. I got to show that we are still crazy in some way. Like clip a dude in the back. They'd be like, why are you clipping somebody? I'll like, stab a guy. Every- I'll stab a guy yeah, for 15 every- yards just to show him. Hey, listen, for a win, I'll do, I'll sell my grandma to the devil. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Boone, every Tuesday, Purple Daily, Daily Vikings oh, Therapy here, uh, presented by Surly. And uh, yeah, Vikings Vent Line, the most fan-friendly, interactive show in Minnesota sports. And uh, whatever happens on Thursday, we got your guys' backs. So check us out live on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. All right. Gentlemen, it's been a good time. Yeah. That Christmas tree behind right. Alex, bringing the bringing the spirit. Got a little Love hat it. on. Well, it's, no, it's the angel on top. There you go. I know. I know what it is. Just looks like a hat. All right. Talk see you guys.